0: Well, good morning to everyone who's here this morning, both at this location and our West Campus. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 this morning. When I was growing up, we would regularly sing a song in church. We wouldn't sing it every week. We wouldn't sing it every several weeks. But it was a song that, we, that was constantly, regularly on our lips. The name of the song was Trust and Obey. And it was one of those songs that had a number of verses. Back in that day, it seemed like many of the songs had a whole lot of verses. And this song had a number of verses. And the fourth verse went like this. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For his favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who trust and obey. And then the chorus went like this, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now we're in the midst of a series that that we've entitled The Walking Dead because all around us, at our schools, at our jobs, in our homes, even at our churches, are the walking dead. People who believe that they are spiritually alive, People who believe that they are on their way to heaven, but in reality, they are dead. They have never been born again. And nothing could be worse than standing before God, believing that you're about to enter heaven, when in reality, He says to you, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but even today... Those are some of the most frightening, some of the most horrifying words that I've ever read, that I've ever heard. To think that there are many people who are going to stand before God one day thinking they're about to enter heaven. And yet Jesus says, you don't know me, depart from me. And Jesus said that these people are people who have called him Lord. These people are people who have been involved in service and yet, in the end, they didn't really know him. That's why the Apostle Paul told us to examine ourselves, to, to test ourselves, to see whether we're really in the faith. And, and that's what the book of First John is all about. It's all about giving ourselves a test to see whether we're really in the faith or not. John said it like this in, in 1 John chapter 5. Verse 13, he said, these things have I written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. You see, God doesn't want us to go through our life wondering whether we're going to go to heaven or not. God doesn't want us to to doubt whether we're going to experience eternal life with Him. God wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're on our way to heaven. God wants us to be assured of His love for us and certain of our relationship with Him. But the problem is, there are many people today who have misunderstood what a relationship with God looks like and how that relationship affects our life. Now, as we begin this series, we began by talking about the key to life, the foundation for life, how that relationship with God begins. And we discovered that faith, belief in Jesus as the Son of God, is the key. To life. In other words, it's our faith that moves us from death into life. But here's the problem when it comes to faith, when it comes to belief. Many people define that word in the wrong way. It seems like today that many, if not most Americans and, and most American churchgoers define belief as intellectual knowledge. I know some facts I believe those facts are true, therefore I must believe. And so we look at belief as knowledge. But biblically, the word belief isn't just about knowledge. The word belief in the Bible encompasses so much more than that. Biblically, when we talk about belief, it it literally means that we're responding to God with all that we are, our mind, our emotions, and our will, to all that we know of Him. With our mind, there there are certain facts we must know to be saved. I, I must know that I am a sinner. I must know that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I must know that He defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the dead. There are things that I must know with my mind, but... But knowledge isn't enough. That knowledge must then make its way to my heart and affect my emotions. And with my emotions, I began to realize who God is and who I am in light of who God is. I am convicted of my sin. I'm convicted of of my life of willful disobedience before God. And, And I am overwhelmed with grief by the fact that it was my sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. But even our emotions aren't enough because our mind and our emotions must then touch our will. And with our will, we make a decision to commit our life to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And so when we believe in Jesus, we're responding to Jesus with all that we are, our mind, our emotions, and our will with all that we know that he is. Now last week, as we began to look at the vital signs that prove there is life, we looked at the first vital sign. And the first vital sign that there is spiritual life in me is my attitude towards sin. How do I look at sin? In First John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, John said this, If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, we make God out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. You see, there are many today who try to cover up their sin. They refuse to admit that they have a sin problem. But a Christian is someone who has not only confessed their sin to themselves and confessed their sin to God, they have sought forgiveness and cleansing from that sin. You see, when we claim that we're good people, when we claim that we're not really sinners... We, in effect, are saying that God is a liar because God says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory, the standard of God. God says no one is righteous, not even one. And so last week, we we asked ourselves a series of questions. Am I aware of my sinful nature? Have I acknowledged my sin to God? Has my sin broken my heart because it breaks the heart of a holy God? Do I have a desire to turn from all of my sin? You see, that's the first vital sign, my attitude towards sin. But this morning, I want us to move to the second vital sign. And the second vital sign is obedience to God's command. You see, the first vital sign deals with the negative. The second vital sign deals with The positive. The first vital sign tells what I turned from. I turned from sin. The second vital sign says what I turned to. I turned to God in obedience. Now I want you to stand with me in honor of God's word as we begin reading in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2. Listen to what God's word says. We know that we have come to know him if. Now, that word is key. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a, is a what? A liar. The man who says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray this morning that you'll open our ears so that we can hear. Open our minds so that we can, so that we can understand And Father, I pray that you'll open our hearts so that we'll have a desire to obey your word, I pray. Amen. Let's be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but this passage, to me at least, is one of the clearest passages I've ever read in the Word of God. It's crystal clear. It's easy to understand. What God is saying is that faith Real faith inevitably will result in obedience. If it is real faith, it will result in obedience. That's why John tells us that obedience is the second vital sign of life. Now understand, this isn't the only place that we find this in the Word of God. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me... You will obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll do what I say. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. If we love him, we will obey. If we don't obey, we obviously don't love. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, This is love for God, to obey his commands... And his commands aren't burdensome. You see, God's word is clear. To know Jesus, to really know Jesus, is to obey Jesus. Now, that's what God's word says. But let's look what some Christian leaders have said. Billy Graham. This is what Billy Graham said. Faith that saves has one distinguishing quality. Saving faith is a faith that produces obedience. Saving faith is a faith that produces obedience. It is a faith that brings about a way of life. A.W. Tozier said, The man that believes will obey. Failure to obey is convincing proof that there is no true faith present. Failure to obey is convincing proof That true faith isn't present. C.S. Lewis said this. To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. If you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. Not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. Chuck Colson said, obedience is the real key to faith. Charles Spurgeon said, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God and he that trusts God obeys God. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was an influential theologian who was martyred by the Nazis in World War II, said this. He said, for faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. And Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband Jim was martyred, as he sought to bring the gospel to the Alca Indians of Ecuador, said this. She said, obedience is what he looks for beyond everything else. I am convinced that obedience is the only valid test of love and faith. We don't really believe in him. Um, if If we don't really believe in him, we don't really love him unless we do what he says. I want you to listen very carefully. It is only recently and particularly in American Christianity that we have come up with this belief that we can somehow have a saving faith without an obedience to Jesus as our Lord. You see, both the Bible and Christian tradition, Christian history clearly teaches that obedience is fundamental to the Christian life. Any faith, that does not produce both the desire and the determination to live a life of obedience, is not saving faith. Now, in the passage we read, John describes two groups of people. Their first group are those who say they know Jesus, but they don't obey Jesus. And John says that this group is made up of liars. Then he tells about another group, and the other group say that they know Jesus, And they obey Jesus. And then John says that God's love is being made complete. God's love is being perfected in this group. And so you have two groups. Both of them claim to know Jesus. One obeys and they really do know him. And God's love is being made complete, being perfected in them. They are becoming mature in their faith. The other group who say they know him but they don't obey, they're made up of liars who don't really know him. Now, this is important. This isn't on your note sheet, but you need to write this down. It's vital. If you misunderstand this, you're going to misunderstand what biblical salvation, biblical faith is all about. You see, obedience is the result of salvation. It is not... The cause of salvation. Let me say that again. Obedience is the result of salvation. It is not the cause of salvation. I obey because I've been saved. Not because I want to be saved. If I don't obey, then there is evidence that I've never been saved. And so in light of what God's Word says, in light of what church history, church tradition says, teaches, I want to share with you six truths about obedience that we can glean from this passage. First of all, obedience begins at salvation. Notice what John says. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. John is saying we really don't know him. We haven't really been saved until our faith results in obedience. Now, I've heard a number of testimonies over the years that that go something like this. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was a child, but it wasn't until later on in life that I accepted Him as my Lord. Have you ever heard a testimony like that? Maybe you've given a testimony like that. There are many people whose testimonies flow like that. The only problem is, It's not biblical. The Bible nowhere teaches that at one point in our life we can accept Jesus as our Savior and receive forgiveness of our sins and live how we want to and then later on at another point in our life decide that we're going to surrender our life to him. We either accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord or we don't accept Jesus at all. I was saved. When I was nine years old. Now understand. That doesn't mean from that point on. That I never messed up. I never blew it. I never sinned. I did. But at nine years old. Something happened in my life. At that moment. For the very first time. I came to the reality that I was a sinner. I needed a savior. I was convicted of my sin. I knew that apart from Jesus dying for my sins, I was lost and I was headed to hell. I had no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And that Sunday morning, I didn't understand all the theology about who Jesus was. I didn't understand the term lordship. But I can tell you this. As a nine-year-old boy, I gave everything I knew of myself To everything I knew of Jesus. And that's what lordship is all about. It's giving everything we know of ourselves to everything we know of Jesus. As we grow in his grace and knowledge, as we mature in our faith, we will understand more about who he is. We will understand more about his perfect will and his plan for our life and and we will understand better how do we put into practice this whole concept of obedience in every area of our life. But even as a child, if we're truly saved, we're giving every part of who we are to every part of who we know Jesus is at that moment in our lives. John MacArthur said it this way, He said the gospel that Jesus proclaimed was a call to follow him in submissive obedience. Not just a plea to make a decision or pray a prayer. Jesus' message liberated people from the bondage of their sin while it confronted and condemned hypocrisy. It was an offer of eternal life and forgiveness for repentant sinners. But at the same time, it was a rebuke to outwardly religious people whose lives were devoid of true righteousness. It put sinners on notice that they must turn from sin and embrace embrace God's righteousness. Our Lord's words about eternal life were invariably accompanied by warnings to those who might be tempted to take salvation lightly. You see, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, his call was to repent, turn from sin, and believe the gospel. And as we repented, we turned from sin. That was that very first step of obedience. And as we took that step, we entered into a lifelong journey of obedience. And obedience should be the defining act of our life as Christ followers. Now, biblically, one of our first acts of obedience, once we Turn from sin and believe the gospel is believer's baptism. Jesus told his disciples to go into the world and make disciples and baptize them. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was born and the people were overwhelmed with grief over their sin, they cried out to Peter, what do we need to do? And here's what Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you, because of the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says those who gladly received the word were baptized. They took that step of obedience. You see, when I become a believer in Jesus Christ, I am going to begin a life of obedience. And and that That begins when I turn from sin and trust him. That continues as I follow him in believer's baptism. And that continues to progress as I go through life, living my life in absolute, complete obedience to his commands. So obedience begins at salvation. The second truth, obedience is not selective. Now notice what John says. He says we obey his commands, plural, meaning we obey all of them, not just those we feel comfortable with, not just those we agree with, we obey all of them. And then he says in verse 5, we obey his word, everything he says. Now, all too often, we look at God's commands, we look at God's word, kind of like how we look at a cafeteria food line. We're going through the cafeteria line and there's all kinds of food. Some of the food we like, some of the food we don't even have an opinion on, and there's other foods that, to be quite honest, we dislike. And when we go through the cafeteria, what do we choose? We choose the foods that we like. And so we go through the line and we say, I would like a a bowl. I would like a bowl, a big bowl of that forgiveness to begin with, and then we would say, I, "I want a, I want a huge helping of of that. Judge not, so that you will not be judged. And then, and then, I, to top it off, I, I want for dessert that full and abundant life. I want that happy life. That. The Bible talks about. And we pick and choose what we want out of God's word. A lot of people do that. They say things like, well, God wants me to be happy. God says, judge not. You shouldn't, you shouldn't judge the way I'm living. And we pick and choose, like a cafeteria line, what we want. And as we're going through the line, we see other things that we don't like. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Nah. uh Woo. Woo. That, that separation, well, that makes me nauseous. I don't want any of that. That righteousness, uh-uh. I don't want none of that on my plate. And we go through, and those things that are palatable to us, we want to fill our plate up with, but those things that we dislike, we want to stay away from, but we can't do that with God's Word. You see, you can't pick and choose which part of God's Word you will obey. When you're saved, you are saying, I'm no longer the one that determines right and wrong. I'm no longer the one that determines good and bad. I'm no longer the one that determines what I do and don't do. But rather, God makes that determination now. When we're saved, we're giving up the right to determine those things. We've given that right to Him. When God speaks about our relationships we obey. When God speaks about our finances, we obey. When God speaks about our work habits, we obey. When God speaks about any area of our life, we obey. Our response is always, yes, Lord. When he says, jump, we say, how high? That's our only response to God's command. Now, is that easy? Absolutely not. Does it require faith? Absolutely. But that's what happens when we're saved. You see, obedience is not selective. The third truth that this passage teaches is this. Obedience is a way of life. And that word obey in the Greek is in the present subjunctive, which means it's a continual action. In other words, what John is saying is that obedience is our lifestyle. It becomes the pattern for our lives. Now, this doesn't mean we'll never disobey because we will. We dealt with this last week, if you'll recall. In First John chapter two, verse one, John said this: He said, "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin." In other words, that should be the plan of each and every one of us who are Christ followers. We should wake up every morning and say, "God, through Your grace, through the empowering of Your Holy Spirit, I'm going to go through today." Without sinning. But then he says, but if anybody does sin, and we will, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so God's word isn't saying that we're never going to not, we're, we're, we're not going to live a life without sin. We're going to sin at times. There are going to be times when we're on the road, and someone cuts us off or someone gives us one of those hand gestures or verbalizes something to us and 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 we're going to shoot back we're not going to operate in the spirit we're going to operate in the flesh and when that happens we've sinned but praise god we've got someone who speaks on our behalf to the father and that's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, John isn't saying you're never gonna blow it. He isn't saying you're never gonna mess up, but he is saying the pattern of your life once you become a believer is noun obedience. In other words, in other words, if you were able to, to step back from your life and take a journey up 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 feet, and look at your life on a plane, would your life be defined by obedience or disobedience? And he is saying if you've been saved, your life is going to be defined by obedience. There will be instances, there will be events, there may even be seasons where we get off track. But as we look at our life, the defining point of our life from the moment we are saved to the moment we go to heaven and glory will be obedience. And if obedience isn't the defining factor of our life, then something is wrong. Number four, obedience requires discipline now this word obey in the translation we're using some translations use the word keep but but that word was used oftentimes in greek to describe a sentry who was walking his post and a sentry a guard who was walking his post had to be alert had to be on guard had to be ready for whatever might happen and john is saying that if we are going to live the life that God wants us to live, we have to be alert. We have to be ready. This word implies diligence. It implies effort. You see, our obedience doesn't just happen. There, there are some people that have this idea that you, know, you give your life to Jesus, you're born again, the Spirit of God is living in you, and boy, it's going to be easy now. I mean, temptation, that's a thing of the past. Temptation's not going to bother me anymore. Sin's not going to be a struggle anymore. And we're a Christian for a couple of days and all of a sudden we realize, wow, I was wrong. And so how do we have victory over temptation? How do we have victory over sin? The only way is through discipline. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 24 and following, Paul said this in the New Living Translation. He said, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing, I discipline my body. Listen to what he says. I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Did you get that? Paul said, I am disciplining my body like a fighter, like an athlete trains his body so that, so that after I preach, there won't ever be anything that happens to the point that I am disqualified from what God has called me to do. You see, obedience isn't always easy. I think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was, he was sold as a slave to Potiphar's house, and Potiphar had a beautiful wife that had a thing for Joseph, and she tried to seduce Joseph, and it would have been so easy for Joseph. Joseph who had been sold into slavery, who had been given a bum rap, who was living in a land of people he didn't know. It would have been so easy for him to give in to the temptation and and get it on with Potiphar's wife. But he didn't because he had disciplined himself. And he said no to sin. And he turned and he ran from that sin. And the reason he did is because of discipline. And so how do we discipline ourselves in the Christian faith? Well, well, there are a variety of things we do. We have a class that we teach called It Takes Discipline where we teach the spiritual disciplines you need to develop in your life. Disciplines like, like, like Bible study. Psalms 119, David said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that it will keep me from sinning against you. In other words, when we make it our habit of getting into the Word of God and letting the Word of God get into us, it will keep us from sin. The, the discipline of prayer. In Romans twelve twelve in the message, Paul said, Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. In other words, when it gets tough, It's going to be easy to give in and throw in the towel, but you don't do it because you've made it a habit to pray in these difficult times. You're going to keep focused on Jesus, focused on the task at hand, focused on the goal, and you're going to make it. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 14, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Even our finances are used by God to help discipline us So we can live the life God wants us to live. You see, there are spiritual habits that you and I need to develop if we're going to maintain this lifestyle of obedience. Fifth, obedience is not a burden. You see, obedience doesn't just refer to an act of of keeping a command, but, but it also refers to an attitude of wanting to keep the command. You see, I'm reminded of the little boy that, you know, his father told him to sit down and the boy said no. The father said, son, you better sit down. And the little boy said no. And the father grabbed the little boy, spanked his rear end, and set him down in the chair and said, you sit here. The little boy sat there with the grumpy look on his face. He looked at his father and said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. (laughs) You see, that's how some of us live our life, isn't it? I mean, we're living in obedience to what God says, but we don't want to. And and the question of obedience is, why are we being obedient? Are, Are we being obedient because the law says, be obedient? Or are we being obedient because the love we have for Jesus compels us? To be obedient. If I'm being obedient because I am commanded by the law, then my obedience is wrong. But if I'm being obedient because I'm compelled by the love that I have for Jesus and the love he has for me, then I've understood where obedience comes from. That's why John says in 1 John 5 verse 3, his commands aren't burdensome. Why aren't they burdensome? Because we want to obey them. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, there were some chores that my father gave me to do that I despise doing. There were other chores that I love doing. And I think that's how it is with us. Sometimes we do things not because we love doing them, not because we love the one who has asked us to do them, but we do them because we know that if we don't, we're going to get spanked on the rear end. And that's the wrong motivation for obedience. I love what David said in Psalm 119, 20. He said, my soul is consumed with a longing for your laws at all times. Did you hear that? My soul is consumed with a longing for your laws at all times. In other words, man, I am just overwhelmed with the desire to live by, to follow your word. It consumes me. Now, how could you be consumed by obedience to God's word like that? There's only one way. You're so in love with him that you desperately want to please him you want to honor him so he tells us his, obedi- his obedience isn't burdensome and then finally he ends by telling us obedience will result in us becoming like jesus we will walk like jesus walked and, and that's the goal of every believer in romans 8 verse 29 in the living bible it says for for from the very beginning god decided that those who come to him should become like his son And so as we live this life of obedience, we put it into practice in our life, day in, day out, here's what will happen. We will become more and more like Jesus. And the reason is because His love, God's love, is being perfected, it's being completed in our life. And that's why the Bible says perfect love, it casts out all fear. When God's love becomes complete in us, all the fears that used to drive our life, the fear of death, the fear of uncertainty, all those fears will pass away. We won't have them anymore. Now, here's the problem our churches are filled with people, with Bibles full of notes, calendars full of activities, heads full of knowledge, and yet lives. That in reality are void of obedience to God's word. We may be morally upright, we may even be spiritually engaged, but when it comes to letting God's word really guide and direct our lives, if we're honest, we're living by another compass. You see, when we know Jesus, we will live in obedience. And so my question is, do you? Does obedience define your life? Let me ask you a series of questions as we wrap this up this morning. First of all, do you delight, do you love God's Word? Second, do you desire to submit every area of your life to God's Word? Every area. Third, are you grieved when you disobey God's word? Fourth, is obedience to God's word the pattern of your life? And then fifth, can you remember a moment in your life when that changed? When obedience became important? to you now if you can answer yes to all of those questions then you can know that there's probably life spiritual life in you but if you can't answer yes to all of those questions then you need to ask yourself why not remember that song that we talked about as we began this morning that we used to sing when when I was growing up in church trust and obey. The last verse of that song goes like this. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says, we will do. Where he sins, we will go. We will never fear. We will only trust and obey. Here's the bottom line. To trust him, is to obey him. What he says. We will do. Where he sins. We will go. I want you to bow your heads. And as you bow your heads. And you close your eyes. I want to remind you of something this morning. And that is the purpose of John's epistle. John didn't write this epistle. To fill our minds with doubts and insecurity. In regard to our, our faith our salvation. He wrote this epistle so that you and I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life. And so he gives us these series of questions to ask. What is my attitude towards sin? Have I become aware that I am a sinner in need of a Savior? Am I living a life of obedience? Is the desire of my heart Because of God's love for me, I desire to obey Him in everything. If you're here this morning and and that hasn't been the desire of your heart, you can't point to a moment in time where your desires changed, then I want to encourage you this morning, if the Holy Spirit is compelling you, I want to encourage you to, To give your heart and give your life to Jesus. You can do this by praying this prayer right now, but it's not praying the prayer, it's meaning it with all your heart. So if you want Jesus to, to come into your life and save you, you want to enter into a life of obedience because of his love for you, then I encourage you to pray this prayer, dear God. I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have lived a life of disobedience. Forgive me. I know that you love me. I know that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And right now, I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you to save me. And right now, I'm giving you control. From this moment on, I want to live for you. I want to follow you as the Lord of my life. Because you're my Lord. You're my God. You love me. And thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. And thank you on the authority of your word for saving me. Amen. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, If you prayed that prayer just then, for the very first time and meant it with all of your heart, would you just quickly lift your hand right now so that we can rejoice with you. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let's put our hands down. If you prayed that prayer just then, look at me. If you prayed that prayer just then and you meant it, here's what I'd like for you to do. That card that Pastor David was talking about a few moments ago. I'd like for you on the back of that card to check that box. I pray today to become a lifelong follower of Jesus. Because we want to follow up with you. And we want to tell you what your next steps are to living a life of assurance. Knowing where you stand in your relationship with Him. Then at this time we're going to have the wonderful privilege of, of worshiping through giving. Through singing. And so let me pray as our ushers come forward and we're going to continue to worship. Father God, we thank you for this privilege of giving. And I pray that you'll just use what we give this morning to accomplish your mission on planet earth. Lord, use it to make us into the people you want us to be. And Lord God, use it to bring glory to your name, I pray. Amen.